things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of No Mercy with yours truly, Stephen A. Smith, coming at you as I love to do it several times a week on this No Mercy podcast. Obviously, um, there's a lot to get into. And as always, I love coming at it with you uh, from my home studios. Thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the No Mercy podcast. Got a lot of stuff to get into today. Got some playoff basketball talk to get into. Phil Jackson has made news yet again for all the wrong reasons, of course. Ime Udoker has been rehired in the NBA as a head coach after what happened to them in Boston. Don Lemons got fired. Uh, Tucker Carlson has been let go. There's a whole bunch of stuff to get into. Make no mistake about that, but... First order of business is to get into the NBA playoffs because Tuesday night, the Atlanta Hawks survived. Trey Young drills about a 35, 40-foot three-point shot past the top of the key over the outstretched arms of Jalen Brown for the Boston Celtics. And as a result, the Atlanta Hawks survive. They advance to game six of these NBA finals, courtesy of a 119-117 victory over the Boston Celtics. Trey Young, Ice Trey, that brother, 38 points on 14 to 33 shooting, 5 of 13 from three-point range, 13 assists, now has 64th quarter points in the series. Let's not forget that, okay? We, we got to give love where love is due. I don't know what the hell is going on with Jason Tatum. Over the last three games, he's not shooting well from the field. I don't know what the hell is going on with some of the errors, some of the mental collapses on defense and offense that the Boston Celtics have got themselves into. But I'm not worried. I don't think the Atlanta Hawks are the better team. And I don't even think that's the story on this particular day. I think that the Boston Celtics will go back to Atlanta Close out the series in six games. I think they made a mistake by losing this game and giving Joel Embiid extra time to rest in Philadelphia because now the game has been pushed two days back. So that gives him two additional days to rest to get his knee right so he could be ready for the Boston Celtics. I think that was a mistake on the part of the Boston Celtics. But I think Boston lost this game five because they were looking ahead to Philly. And ultimately it cost them. Here's the thing that I want to remind everybody about Trey Young. When you think about Trey Young, it's important to say this. I like Trey Young, even though he's a Nick killer because he destroyed him a couple of years ago. I'm a fan of Trey Young's. I don't want that to get confused. I don't want that to be twisted. Okay. And I know I brought up Jason Tatum, by the way, the last three games where Boston's one and two. Jason Tatum is shooting like 36% from the field, nine to 34 from three point range. That's 26%. We expect better from Jason Tatum. We're not seeing it right now. I think he'll get his act together. Okay? But I wanted to throw a stat out to y'all today because I threw it out today on television. It kind of shocked 
uh, somebody is astute and brilliant um, and as uh, cerebral as J.J. Reddick, my buddy, you know, with the podcast, The Old Man and the Three. Doing a great job with that, by the way. Did y'all know that Trey Young, about this about Trey Young, of the 458 players with at least 1,000 field goal attempts this season, Trey Young was tied for the third worst effective field goal percentage shooting at 48.5%. The only two people in the entire NBA who has attempted at least 1,000 shots this season who has a worse effective field goal percentage is rookie of the year, Paolo Banquero of Orlando, and Terry Rozier or the Hornets. Trey Young is tied at number three with R.J. Barrett and Jalen Green. R.J. Barrett of the Knicks, Jalen Green's of the Houston Rockets. That is just bad. Because what it says is that you're a volume shooter. What it says is that you're not as effective, as efficient as people would like you to be. What it says is that although you deliver in crunch time and you're a big-time player in big-time moments, what are you doing the rest of the time? How effective and productive and efficient are you? And that's not something that you were saying about Trey Young a year ago, two years ago. You thought he was a superstar in the making. So these are things to think about, particularly as we watch him and we wonder about what's going to happen in Atlanta, which I'm telling you right now, they ain't winning this series against Boston. As it pertains to the Boston Celtics, bottom line is this. I think they're the team to beat in the East. I think Philly could beat them, but they won't. I am shocked at what the hell is happening with Milwaukee in this series against the Miami Heat. I'm stunned. Now that damn Jimmy Butler scares the hell out of me. Because I know what he's doing. Y'all see, I know Jimmy Butler. That's my boy. Got love for him. You know, knew him from his days in Chicago. Knew him when he went to Minnesota. Was ecstatic when he went to Philadelphia and joined Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and stuff like that. I don't think Ben Simmons would have been this soft. I don't think Ben Simmons would have been this out of it if Jimmy Butler was his teammate. I think he needed a rough rider. Some tough love. Somebody to be in his face, hold him accountable while believing in him. That's my personal opinion. And when Jimmy Butler was there, he didn't have a problem with then coach Brett Brown saying, I'm going to let Ben Simmons have the ball in his hands and do his thing to the best of his ability for the first three quarters. And then I'm going to come to you in the fourth. Jimmy didn't have a problem with that because that's what Jimmy is all about. He's all about the big moments. He's all about the fourth quarter. He's all about the postseason. That's Jimmy Butler. But when he rolls out there and drops 56 on a Milwaukee team with Giannis, I mean, damn, I got to give love where it's due. Because that dude, I know him. I've spoken to him on many occasions. And let me tell you what Jimmy Butler is thinking when he thinks about Stephen A. Let me tell you what Jimmy Butler is thinking when he's watching the basketball world transfixed on these players. You know what Jimmy Butler is thinking? The Knicks are next. The Knicks are next. That's what he's thinking. He ain't going to shove aside Milwaukee. He's going to take them seriously. But I'm telling you, that's what he's thinking. Because Jimmy Butler is sort of salivating at the mouth at the thought of being able to come to the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, New York City, Madison Avenue, right down the block and all of this other stuff. He's thinking about, he's fantasizing about coming to New York City and ruining the next season. He wants the Knicks more than he wants the Cavs. 
He wants Gotham City. He wants New York. He wants to take the euphoria that has resonated and hovered over New York over these past days and weeks and months. And he wants to ruin the hearts of New Yorkers everywhere. He don't care about Cleveland. He don't give a damn about Lake Erie. That man's coming for Gotham City. He's coming for Broadway. He's trying to take over because he knows what kind of message that would send. So the Knicks better be ready. They really better be ready. But speaking of the Boston Celtics, that's not the news I care to discuss. Them losing a game five to Atlanta that they should have won, even though I think they're going to win game six and they lost game five because they took it for granted and they just assumed that they were going to be able to walk over Atlanta since Atlanta didn't have DeJounte Murray, who got suspended for bumping in the referee at the end of game four's loss and all of this other stuff. That's not the story for me. Former Boston Celtics coach Ime Udoka was hired by the Houston Rockets. Something I knew was going to happen for weeks. <clears throat> when I think about Ime Udoka, I will always view him as a coach of the Houston, of the, of the Boston Celtics. Not just because he won 51 games in his first season, not just because he took them to the NBA Finals in his first season when the great Brad Stevens, who's now the president of basketball operations, but was the head coach for the Boston Celtics for the previous seven years, couldn't take him to a Finals once. He took him in his first year on the job. It's none of that. I'm going to step back for a second and tell y'all something. I said months ago when Ime Udoka was basically suspended for the year by the Boston Celtics and held captive by the franchise as far as I was concerned. I said almost a year ago that he was screwed. No pun intended. We know the story with Ime Udoka. He supposedly was messing with somebody, messing around, had a sexual relationship with somebody purportedly that was employed by the organization. We don't know all the details. We don't know what happened. We just know that his actions were a violation of team policy, blah, blah, you know, all of this other stuff. We can't, there's certain things. Listen, you know, I know. But there's certain things we can't say. Not trying to get ourselves sued or anything like that. But I think it's universally known that he had a sexual relationship with someone within the organization. We don't know whether they were married, whether they were single. We don't know who it was. We're not speculating about who that person was. Even if we did know, we don't want to tell. That ain't our business. Some people are of the opinion, well, if you know his business, why can't you know about the woman he was messing with and stuff like that? I'm not rolling like that. I'm not rolling like that. I'm rolling in a completely other direction. Why was it any of our business? I'm going to educate y'all about something. And yes, at the time, I took it to the racial component. And I'm going to take it there now. I know personally of an inordinate amount of stories that involved white men in associated with sports franchises who was screwing around with someone internally. 
Let me tell you what I've never seen. I never saw a damn press conference about it. I never said Ime Udoka shouldn't be fired. I didn't have an opinion as to whether he should be fired or he should be kept. My opinion was keep him or fire him. What you don't do is publicize it. He's the only one screwing. Nobody else was. Everybody else was celibate. They kept the stuff in their pants. They were the Pope. Only black dudes screwing around. We ain't hear nothing about any of the other folks. I've been covering sports for 30 years. I have never seen a press conference to address somebody's suspension and everyone knew because of leaks that preceded the press conference, even though they didn't say much in the press conference, that it was about his sexual relationship. I can tell you what we, 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 what we also heard, and we don't know this definitively. That the woman was white. Her identity's protected. Fine. No problem. Can I ask all the ladies out there and all the men out there something? What about the sister, the black woman named Nia Long? That is his woman and the mother of his child that was thrown to the wolves by having all of this publicized. And everybody knows that was her man. Did she deserve that? Huh? This beautiful, gorgeous, smart, intelligent, accomplished woman, a sensational actress, known for years, crossing all lines and barriers. We still talk about Love Jones. We don't need to see. We as great and phenomenal as Lorenz Tate is on power, on power book ghost. As phenomenal as he is, and he is phenomenal. I love him on that show. They need to give us, carve out something for him. When you think about Lorenz Tate, you think about Love Jones. That's what you think about. There's a few other movies because he's done many. And he's been sensational in them. But Love Jones stands out above the crowd. Neil Long was the co-star of that movie. The best man. The best man holiday. The best man series that just came out. She stars all over that. She starred in movies with Morris Chestnut. She starred in movies. Not just the best man. Not just Love Jones. She's been everywhere. Nobody thought about, even if they're not together, that is the father of her child. If you mention him and another woman, inevitably she's going to come up. How come nobody thought about the sister? How come they just left her out there standing on her own? I will always defend her. I will always defend her. 
on this issue. It was, how could you do that? I don't want to hear about leaks. The Boston Celtics blew up the story. You could have fired him and said, ask him. You could have kept them and kept it quiet. You didn't have to do it that way. And whether directly or indirectly, intentionally or not, you nearly ruined that man. Because of a consensual relationship with another adult. Now, he might have been wrong. Because you messing with something in house could have been a subordinate. I understand. Fire him. And say, ask him why. But to have a press conference. And put his business tacitly or otherwise on front street. You didn't think about Neil Long at all. But you thought about the other woman. Who purportedly was white. I ain't forgetting that. Ever. I love a lot of people within the Boston Celtics organization, including Brad Stevens. I like Missoula, the coach. I love the players, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all of them. I know people within the organization that are personal friends of mine, class people. They had nothing to do with this. I'm not denigrating the organization. I'm saying whoever made that damn decision to put his business out there like that, it's unforgivable. And the one woman in this equation who was innocent and victimized was not the woman Ime Udoka was messing around with. It was Nia Long. She was the one screwed over. So when I think about Ime, I'm ecstatic he got another job. I'm ecstatic that Tillman Fertitta and his family chose him as the next coach of the Houston Rockets. I think he's a sensational coach and he's going to do a great job and he deserved this opportunity. We all make mistakes. None of us are flawed, flawless. But he didn't deserve that. He did not deserve that. Someone who might deserve our vitriol, however, is Mr. Phil Jackson. So this dude, you would think he would go away. I mean, I know he's an 11-time champion as a coach. One of the greatest coaches to have ever lived. Definitely top five all time in the NBA. Red Arbach, Phil Jackson, Pat Riley. Steve Kerr is up there now. I'd put Larry Brown up there. I mean, Greg Popovich, of course. They're in the equation, but Steve Kerr is something special. No doubt about it. But Phil Jackson is undeniable. Six championships with Jordan and, and Pippen and the Bulls and Rodman and them later on and stuff like that. Horace Grant and B.J. Armstrong and others before that. Steve Kerr, John Paxson, we get all of it. Goes to L.A. Remember, they didn't win a title when Doug Collins was coaching the Chicago until Phil Jackson arrived. They didn't win a title when they had Dell Harris and others and then Phil Jackson came along and Shaq and Kobe won, finally won the championship. There is nothing to question about Phil Jackson, the coach. He's sensational. Phil Jackson, the executive, don't get me started. I still think the man should be banned from New York after the job he did running the Knicks. 
All he did was steal money. Do you know Phil Jackson's the one that passed up on drafting Donovan Mitchell to draft Frank Nielakina? Did you know that? I screamed about how they need to draft Donovan Mitchell coming out of Louisville. He wanted Frank Nielakina from France. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? I never even heard Frank Nielakina speak French. And I covered the damn NBA, but that's beside the point. This man, Phil Jackson, is on the record. It's important to note this. Phil Jackson says, um, I'm paraphrasing here. Essentially that the NBA became too political with the Black Lives Matters and other social, social justice slogans on the court and on players' jerseys. Of course, my man Jalen Rose, my partner in crime on NBA Countdown for ESPN, hit back. He said it's incredibly disappointing to hear Jackson be so out of touch about a very important public movement. He said more than that. Um, I believe that uh, I didn't know whether or not Jalen Jalen Rose uh, called Phil Jackson a racist. I know once upon a time, Scottie Pippen did. When Scottie Pippen called Phil Jackson that, I didn't want to hear it. You say that all those years about Phil. Don't say it now. You were playing for him all those years, winning championships. I saw you hugging him. I saw you talking to him. You seem to get along with him. Why is he a racist now? If Jalen Rose called him that, that's his prerogative because he's reacting to what he heard from Phil Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to call Phil Jackson a racist. I don't know him like that. And I don't believe that a comment like that with him being disappointed about attention being brought to Black Lives Matter and him objecting to that makes him a racist. That's not how I view racist or racism. There's an insensitivity. There's no question about that. And Jalen Rose is absolutely right when he highlights how you rode the backs of black men to your acclaim. Phil Jackson ain't Phil Jackson if it were not for Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. Phil Jackson is not Phil Jackson if it was not for Shaq and Kobe thereafter. And you know it's true because Phil Jackson didn't want to coach Carmelo because you knew you had to go against LeBron and D-Wade and those boys in Miami. You didn't want to coach at that particular moment in time. Remember, Phil Jackson also coached Kobe with Powell Gasol, Andrew Bynum and those brothers. The point that I'm trying to make to you is that I don't think that equates to Phil Jackson being a racist. Does it equate to him being insensitive? Sure. Does it equate to him being indifferent and apathetic? Yes, absolutely. Okay. But when you talk about racism, it's looking at a race of people and thinking they're inferior to you just because of their race. That's a lot of things that you peel from as it pertains to the definition of what racism is to a lot of people. And people being felt about a certain way just because of their ethnicity. There's various other definitions. I'm not saying that those are the only ones, but it really falls along those lines. That's not what I get from Phil Jackson with this statement. I get a level of indifference and apathy. And my response to us is, what did you expect? You see, I think a little differently. I'm not offended by Phil Jackson. I'm thankful. Thank you for revealing what your true feelings are. Because so many times 
when the whole social justice movement was going on, when Black Lives Matter issues were percolating and Black Lives Matter itself was percolating and all of this stuff was going on. We heard white folks everywhere. We hear you. We're listening. And we feel what you're saying. And we just want to harbor and hold on to this level of sensitivity because we understand that you are really going through. To have that man, George Floyd, have a knee on his neck for nine plus minutes by that officer, Derek Chauvin, who obviously deserved to be convicted of murder, which he was. I mean, it's a crying shame. And damn it, we hear you now. How much of us as black people truly believed that? Black folks ain't going to say it to you, but I'll say it. That's why I'm here. We didn't believe you. Not all of you. We know that there's a lot of white folks out there that are incredibly sincere, God-fearing, and have decency at our core where we don't want, you, you don't want harm to be accorded to another race of human beings. No, I don't believe every white person feels that way. I don't believe that at all. I've run across plenty of white folks that are damn good people and plenty of black folks that's trifling as hell. We get it. But I'm talking about the collective. Collective message. When we heard white folks saying, we're listening, we want to hear you. We knew what that was being said because you wanted to get through the moment and let the momentum quell to some degree so we could get back to a degree of normalcy. We knew that the second that the noise subsided and dissipated, that we were going to still encounter the same bullshit we always encounter. We knew it wasn't going to change. We knew people were going to still be marginalized. We knew still be, people were going to still be pigeonholed. We knew that it was still going to be difficult in the working world, that black folks were going to get paid less than white folks, that black women were going to get paid less than white women, that white women was going to get paid less than white men. We know that same old stuff is going to go on. We ain't fools. So Phil Jackson saying that, if I'm going to call that about, if I'm going to say that about Phil, then I can say that about Sean Hattie. I can say that about Mark Levin. They both said to me, live, on television and radio, do we really have to go to the political? We just want our sports. You know how many people feel that way? It's nothing new. They don't want their sports interrupted. And the fact that these messages, these pseudo-protests, these objections to what's going on in society has managed to infiltrate the world of sports because we've got athletes speaking out about these things. People got a problem with that. Aren't they supposed to? Why are we hating on that? We should applaud that. Do you know why? Because it's a reminder that when they're quiet is when you should be worried because you know they're holding it in and they're not revealing their true, authentic feelings and emotions. When they convey it, you know where they stand and you know how to deal with them moving forward. That is what Phil Jackson did. I do not believe he's a racist. I believe that Phil Jackson is arrogant and pompous and don't give a damn about anybody that he doesn't give a damn about. And he only cares about the few select folks that he does care about. Has nothing to do with ethnicity or color. 
It has everything to do with his preference of human beings. I know plenty of black players who know Phil Jackson and swear by him as a person. And I know plenty of others who are white and black who don't. Say what you will about him. We're going to be fear here on No Mercy. Racist? Nah. It's going too far. He's just apathetic and indifferent. And it's easy for him to do on an issue like Black Lives Matter and social justice and protests. Do you know why? Because he ain't black. That's why. I got more on my mind, and I promise you I was going to get into Don Lemon and, sh- and, and, and Tucker Carlson. I will up next. Don't go nowhere. It's Stephen A. I'm just getting started. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? So we all know, uh, before I move on to my next subject, because we know it's important, you know what I'm saying? It's important to point out these things when they happen. Finishing up the conversation about Ime Udoka, I mean, according to the Daily Mail, uh, Ime Udoka, former coach of the Boston Celtics, uh, went to counseling with his son to improve the situation, quote, I put him in, end quote, after Celtics workplace affair ended relationship with Actress Nia Long, who obviously is his son's mom. So he went to counseling with his son. I think people need to hear that in the interest of fairness. That's what he said, okay? Let me move on to a different subject. Because as we know, I like to dabble beyond the parameters of sports. I am not an aficionado with politics. I follow it. As an American citizen, somebody who's interested in having a clue about what the hell is going on. Um, I don't have a t- I don't have time to go to the Congressional Budget Office work site or, or or anything else and look up bills and read three and four hundred page bills. And I don't have time for that. I'm a busy man. So I rely a lot on the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times. The Drudge Report, Politico, uh, uh, New York Times, uh, you know, all of these different publications. I pay attention. That's just a few. I read more than that. Wherever the news is and it's percolating and you got people saying some stuff. Plus, I listen to talk radio. Yes, I listen to Hannity. Yes, I listen to my girl, Karen Hunter. Yes, I listen to the Black Eagle, uh, uh, you know, uh, Joe Madison in the morning. On Urban View Radio, 6 to 10 a.m., Karen's 3 to 6 p.m., Eastern Standard Time every day. I listen to Sean Hannity, of course. I've known my man for years. Nobody's my sister, Karen. We go back 30 years. That's my baby. That's, that's my sister. Okay? But Joe Madison, too. Of course, I listen to Mark Levin, the great one. 6 to 9 p.m., Eastern Standard Time. Patriot Radio. stuff. Like that. I go back and forth with all the time. I watch CNN. I watch The Five on Fox News. I don't watch Tucker Carlson. I watch The Five. I watch Hannity. I don't watch Laura Ingram. Okay? I watch Lawrence O'Donnell. I watch a few of the others on MSNBC. Of course, I watch Morning Joe when I get a chance. I like Jake Tapper on CNN. Wolf Blitzer is an institution. 
I don't watch Anderson Cooper that much. I loved Chris Cuomo. Still think he should be there. But I'm mentioning all of that to say that I have an idea of what's percolating without knowing the nuances, the inside intel, and all of that. So when Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson was let go by CNN and Fox News, respectively, on the same damn day, I was, I was, I was kind of surprised. Let me take that back. Shocked. Shocked at Tucker Carlson. I was not surprised at all that Don Lemon was let go. Before we go on any further, let me say this. Don Lemon has interviewed me on several occasions. He is not the dumbest man on television like former President Trump always calls him. Um, I respect Don Lemon. I like his work. He's been a professional at CNN for 17 years in the business, spanning three decades. Um, I'm not here to disrespect Don Lemon. When he said the comment that he said about Nikki Haley, if we heard his quotes in its totality, could one argue that it was overblown? Sure, because he was alluding to what others felt as opposed to what he felt. My retort, to those who have said that, including himself, would be, but you said it. And in the world of soundbite, you know how that was going. You, you, you may not have known the magnitude of it, but damn it, you know that a soundbite could get you caught out there. You're too professional. You're too experienced to find yourself in a situation where you're on a morning show with Caitlin Collins and Poppy Harlow. And you sit up there and you say a presidential candidate age 51 is over her prime. That when you talk about a prime with a woman is in her 20s, 30s, 40s, you were talking about what other people feel according to what I've been told Don Lemon meant. But the fact of the matter is he said what he said and that soundbite is what everybody held on to. In my mind, that moment sealed his fate. Not because the moment was worthy of sealing his fate because people make mistakes. I certainly have made them. And when you're talking live on television with no seven second delay, no tape delay or anything like that, you're going to say stuff off the cuff sometimes and say, damn, I should have caught myself from saying that. It happens. But the reason I thought it sealed his fate because I thought his fate was sealed from the moment he was moved to morning television. They were just waiting for one or two things to happen, him to make a mistake or for his contract to expire. Because at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, if we're being real about it, none of us should have been surprised. See, I did some research, okay? And here is the reality of the situation. When you look at Don, Ray, uh, Don Lemming tonight, that's what his show was called, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, when he followed up Chris Cuomo. His ratings were his best during the Trump years in office. But even at that time, never averaged more than 1.1 million viewers, according to the reports. Shortly after Trump left office in January of 2021, 
his ratings steadily declined. And it wasn't long before CNN's primetime ratings overall were down over 50% post-Trump. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the part where we all need to grow up. In the business that we're in, I'm in it. I've been in it for decades. You're not keeping your job when those kind of numbers are on the books. You're not doing it. Because advertisers and sponsors who want to support your product are going to go to where the ratings are. Because where the ratings are is where the eyeballs are. Where the eyeballs are are where the sponsors and advertisers want to go because that's more eyeballs that are seeing their product and thereby it's a better chance of their patron of their product being patronized even more than it would be if they were on a lower rated show. That's why it's always important to see who your competition is. And so when you look at Don Lemon, these according to news articles, I'm just reading. Lemon was never particularly a ratings draw, with his primetime program peaking at an average audience of 1.6 million in 2020, an election year that saw Fox News, the Ingram angle, average 3.5 million views. Viewers. And NMSNBC's last word with Lawrence O'Donnell attracted 2.4 million. So while Laura Ingram was at 3.5 million and Lawrence O'Donnell was at 2.4 million. Don Lemon was at 1.6 million. And those were his best ratings. And it was last. Now, I didn't watch Laura Ingram. I watched, I didn't watch Lawrence O'Donnell. I watched Don, Don Lemon. When I was watching one of the three shows at 10 o'clock at night on news, it was his show I was watching, not the other two. But evidently, the numbers say I was in a minority. Cuomo as a lead-in, because lead-ins are everything in the television business, almost everything. Once Cuomo departed, that didn't help. So the combination of those two things, we could talk all we want until the cows come home. He could go out and give out a, a, a tweet or whatever. He wasn't even contacted by management. They refute that. They say they tried to talk to him, but he refused to come into the office or whatever. I don't care. I don't care about all of that. Of course, if they didn't contact him, it would be it would have been nice to show him that level of respect since he had been there for 17 years. Of course. But the, whether they did or didn't, it's not our concern. Our concern is that he wasn't on the air is that he's not on the air for CNN anymore. And all they have to say is, here are the numbers. This is the part where we have to grow up. Ladies and gentlemen, and again, no disrespect. I like Don. I like his work. I wish him nothing but the best. I'm not here to excoriate him. I'm only talking facts. And Don would appreciate this because Don is a fact-based person. That's what he swears to be. I see no reason to denigrate him in any way. But if Don was doing a story on Stephen A., which he has, and the reports were out there, Don would be reading from the reports just like I'm reading now. Everybody knows this. He would be reading them. And he would be saying, this is Stephen A.'s numbers compared to such and such numbers and such and such numbers. And if I was in last place, he would say he's in last place. That's his reality. And so 
because of that, reportedly he's going to lawyer up. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he gets his money and he's able to take care of himself and his family and saw him on video walking out with four dogs or whatever the hell it was and, and nothing, you know, nothing but the best to you. But when you're in last place, you're in last place. And then you go on a morning show and that wasn't outrating Fox and Friends. That wasn't outrating Morning Joe. We have to win in this business or they find someone who does. It's really that simple, y'all. It really, really is. Tucker Carlson is a different matter. Tucker Carlson is a very different matter. Because Tucker Carlson, again, reading from research, dominated the 8 p.m. hour in cable news. 3.25 million viewers it averaged in the first three months of this year. Leagues ahead of rivals all in with Chris Hayes on MSNBC, which was at 1.33 million viewers. And Anderson Cooper 360, who's at 703,000 viewers. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's nearly five times the ratings of, An of Anderson Cooper. Nearly five times. That's nearly triple the ratings of All In with Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Among all cable news, only another Fox News show, The Five, which I do watch, has rivaled it in recent months. The two shows have traded off the lead on any given day over the past several months. Tucker Carlson ranked number two in total viewers in 2022 with 3.3 million ahead of third place Jesse Waters primetime 2.86 million. The network's newest offering Hannity meanwhile dropped to number four in total viewers averaging 2.81 million in 2022. Hannity had been the most watched show on cable news from 2017 to 2020. Fox News The Five was the number one in ratings for all cable news shows in 2022 with 3.4 million viewers. Laura Ingram averaged 2.2 million. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what this says? Fox News is completely dominant. Every one of their shows is beating every one of MSNBC's and CNN shows, regardless of the time slot. You got people at 8 o'clock beating their 9 and 10 o'clock shows. It's right here. So for Tucker Carlson to be gone is a shock. My initial inclination was to believe that Tucker Carlson was let go because they must have found some additional intel in that phone about that Dominion voting system. Turns out, reportedly, that may not be the case. Insiders told Vanity Fair that Carlson was caught off guard and had been negotiating his contract renewal through the year 2029. He had taken over the 8 p.m. slot from Bill O'Reilly, who also was fired in 2017. His audience average was 3 million viewers a night. Carlson had one year left on his contract. This is what they're saying about him. And they're saying that essentially um, there was information in his phone because he had a clause in his contract where you couldn't speak ill or denigrate 
You could, his contract contained a, quote, non-disparagement clause that forbade him from speaking ill about the company in public. The company's decision to terminate the agreement with him came after an internal investigation found he had disparaged Fox Corporation and some key executives. Sources have claimed in a text message he called the top executive to the C word. But that doesn't negate his career. Now, some people like the Washington Post and others have said his career in a major news network are over. In this day and age, in case y'all don't notice, you don't need to be at a major news network to make some noise. He can get a deal with iHeartRadio. He can get a deal with Amazon or Apple or somebody. You don't have to work for network news or cable news in order to make money and have an impact in this day and age. What the hell you think I'm doing a podcast for? I don't plan on linear television being my last stop. The one, the thing that defines me and who I am and what I bring to the table. Why the hell you think I love doing No Mercy? Because it's mine. I own it. And I can say what the hell I want to say. There's a freedom that comes along with that. And if I end up getting paid mega bucks because of it, I'll be even happier. So Tucker Carlson, he ain't going to lose much sleep. I mean, unless he's married to Fox and he loved doing it so much or whatever. And apparently he did because he was willing to sign a contract through 2029. So I guess you could make that argument. But the fact of the matter is, I think he'll be all right. And you know why he'll be all right? Because he was top rated. When you're top rated, this is what happens. Even in bad times, there's always a silver lining. Don't compare Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. Regardless of the fact that they got, they both got the same entertainment lawyer, Brian Friedman, supposedly, to represent them. Don't go by that. It's two different cases. I'll close out the show in a minute. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Stephen A. No mercy. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? You know, before I get out of here, I feel compelled to bring up something um, that was on my mind from yesterday. Um, I was listening to somebody talk about a kid by the name of Lakeith Smith. I was listening to Urban View Radio, which I listen to on Sirius XM, usually when I'm driving, Channel 126. And um, Lakeith Smith is a kid expected to spend 30 years at least in an Alabama prison. And it's saying here it's for a crime, for a murder, rather, he did not commit. Um, and the tagline is justice for Lakeith Smith, L-A-K-E-I-T-H Smith. And not to inundate everybody with this information, but just reading because I think it's important to read a 15-year-old. Why would a 15-year-old be on the verge of spending 30 years in prison? It says here the background, in February of 2015, Lakeith, who was 15 years old at the time, and a group of friends were involved in the break-ins of two unoccupied homes in Millbrook, Alabama. 
to steal video games. The teens were still present in one of the homes when local police officers arrived at the scene. The police shot and killed 16-year-old Adante Washington by shooting him in the back as he was fleeing from the cops. I'm just reading from this website. It's called Justice for Lakeith. Although he was the youngest in the group at only 15 years of age, Lakeith was denied being tried as a juvenile and was tried as an adult for the murder of Adante Washington. Despite one disputing that the cop did the killing and Adante's family testifying to the court that they do not hold Lakeith responsible for Adante's death and that he should not do any jail time related to that charge. The charge for felony murder was done at the DA's discretion with no respect or dignity given to the family of Adante, which is a constitutional requirement. Again, I'm just reading. Lakeith Smith was convicted of theft, burglary, and felony murder, a charge that held him legally responsible for the death of Adante. Despite Alabama's felony murder rule states, and here's the reason why I want to read this to y'all. According to Alabama's laws, a person commits the crime of murder if he or she commits or attempts to commit a felony and in the course of and in furtherance of the crime that he or she is committing or attempting to commit or an immediate flight therefrom, he or she or another participant, if there be any, causes the death of any person. Here's what Alabama law is stating, ladies and gentlemen. Because Lakeith Smith was a part of the robbery that brought local police to the scene that led to a 16-year-old being shot in the back by a police officer, Lakeith is responsible. Because what they're saying is if you weren't trying to attempt a robbery, the police would not have been there. Your friend would not have ended up getting shot. He would still be alive. That's what they're saying. In Alabama, that's the law. I find this to be a very daunting situation for him. Because even though we might find that law ridiculous, like, for example, if somebody robs a car, if somebody steals a car and then they run around and they drive around the block with the car and I hop in the car with them and I had nothing to do with the theft of the car, but I'm in the car with them. I'm potentially culpable because you could surmise that I was a part of the robbery. So I'm just as culpable as the person that actually stole the car. Now. First of all, we should have a problem with him being tried as an adult. But secondly, we should have a problem with the murder charge. The reason why it looks so daunting is that in order for Lakeith Smith to get off here, the law would have to be changed because there's no disputing 
that under the law, at the discretion of the district attorney, you could bring forth discharge. It's a damn shame. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a damn shame. Because to me, the law on the book definitely needs to be changed. But also, you're a district attorney. Where's your heart at? You know that Lakeith Smith didn't shoot anybody. You know that the cop shot the kid. So to hold the kid, a 15-year-old, responsible for a murder that you know he did not commit, even though it might not have happened if the robbery wasn't taking place because they were trying to steal video games, it's like, damn, you can't be sensible. You can't simply charge him with robbery. You have to charge him with murder. I feel terrible for that kid. Justice for Lakeith Smith. Justice means don't charge him with murder. Don't send him to jail for 30 years or more for murder. That's what I would say. Last but not least, let me close this show. I don't want to say a high note because he's passed away at the age of 96. Um, but Harry Belafonte, obviously, was a great man. Um, in some people's eyes, he may not have been. He challenged the status quo. He fought for black people at every turn. Um, he fought for human rights at every turn. He was renowned and revered in a lot of ways in a lot of different platforms. I'm just looking at his resume here, born March 1st, 1927. Um, just looking at these accolades, 11 time uh, Grammy Award, uh, I'm sorry, nominated for the Grammys 11 times. Won two Grammys. Nominated for five Primetime Emmy Awards. Won one. Won a Tony Award. Won one Honorary Academy Award. First African American to ever win an Emmy Award. 1963 March on Washington. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He organized a contingent of celebrities to attend that march. Obviously had lead roles in Days of Our Youth at Harlem's American Negro Theater. His understudy was the great late Sidney Poitier. His first, his first feature film, Bright Road, opened in 1953. There's a whole bunch of stuff. UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador, 1987 to 2023. Received the Kennedy Center Honors in 1989. Received the National Medal of the Arts from U.S. President Bill Clinton. Successfully treated for prostate cancer in 1996 to 97 was presented with the Lifetime Achievement Award at the 42nd Academy Awards, but did have some moments that weren't so great, obviously, on Larry King Live in 2002, compared Secretary of State Colin Powell to being a plantation house slave for his role in the George W. Bush administration. He said Colin Powell, Colin Powell was permitted to come into the house of the master in 2006, four years later. He called President Bush the greatest tyrant in the world, the greatest terrorist in the world, while talking to Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez live on the radio in Caracas, Venezuela. All of those things are things we could pick up, we could bring up. But here's the bottom line for me. 
He was a black man who loved his people and he loved all of the human race and wanted all of us to be treated as civilized human beings. And he constantly challenged us to be our better selves. He made a contribution to this world in ways that very few of us could ever pull off. He was a sensational artist on a multitude of platforms, but he was an even better man. And sometimes people might say, hey, he spoke out of pocket. He was a little bit too, you know, outspoken and all of this other stuff. Damn that. He grew up in a time where he's seen some of the most heinous things we could have ever imagined. He died at the age of 96 after all. But at the end of the day, he is a man to be celebrated. And he was celebrated throughout his life. So I'll be damned if we're not going to celebrate him now that he's passed away. My heart goes out to the family of Harry Belafonte, all his loved ones, all his friends, all the people who knew him so much better than I ever hoped to, or I ever could, rather. He was a great, great, great man. And when we leave this earth, we should all hope that somebody's able to say the things about us that we're able to say about him. He truly did make a difference. And it truly was for the betterment of us all. That's it for this episode of No Mercy. I appreciate y'all tuning in. I'll be back with y'all in a couple of days. Until later, peace and love, everybody. And remember, as I always tell you, you don't have to know sports to know mercy. It's your boy talking to you. Until next time. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.